0: New Year and welcome to episode 124 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And today is a bit of a special episode. We're going to go through our top 10 reads of the year. We're going to alternate, I think, well, mine is certainly ordered 10 to 1, I think Rachel's are as well, so we will get slowly towards our top book of the year. Um, And what's quite fun in the next episode we will be discussing one of my top 10 and one of Rachel's top 10, but we don't know which ones yet because we're going to pick from the other ones list. So at the end of the episode, we will reveal to you and to ourselves which books we'll be discussing in the next episode. Um, before we get to that, uh, what what are you reading?
1: Um, well, I'm currently, I know it's New Year's Eve, but I'm under pressure to finish this tonight because I don't want to carry it over into a new year. Um, I'm reading Taken at the Flood by Agatha Christie. And i was um I was doing a bit of tidying the other day, and I needed to get rid of some double stacking on my bookshelves, which I don't like doing. I'm very uncomfortable with that. Everything has to be single stack so I can see, so I needed to make some space, so I thought, I'll read this Agatha Christie, and then I can get rid of it because you know there's no point keeping ones when you know what happens um and so yes, I'm halfway it's I'm about three quarters of the way through, and the the murders only just happened unusually um Ooh. so I was I was waiting quite a while I was like what's when when is someone going to get killed um but it's it's quite interesting because part of the mystery is about who is actually going to end up being killed out of the many people who could potentially so it's also quite an interesting one because it's a it's a wartime one and um involves a case of of possible uh bigamy to do with the blitz so there we are
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I have read it, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a, it's going to be a favourite, Christy, but it's it's enjoyable nonetheless. Lots of complaining about um, not getting servants and things. <laughs>
0: um, I believe it was published in the US as uh, There is a Tide, just to make things confusing.
1: Ah, I wonder why they do that. Because Taken yeah. at the Flood is is, is from a quote. That's at the beginning.
0: Well, it's yeah, it's so there is, there is a tide, is a tide. which taking it yeah. taking the flood leads onto fortune. So they obviously thought that there is a tide is a more for some reason more enticing quote. <laughs> they might have changed to the to the British version now, I don't know.
1: How interesting. I'd love to know why they make these decisions, but there we are. So um yeah, enjoyable. Um I was encouraged to pick up an Agatha Christie by the fact that there was a new Agatha Christie BBC adaptation on the television over Christmas. I don't know if you've seen it yet um murder, no, easy. murder is
0: easy yeah and I've mm-hmm. not read it I wanted to read it first so I took the book to my parents but I didn't actually read it
1: oh right well I mean I can't hugely recommend it I thought it was a bit slow and dull to be honest um <laughs> and and uh I so they from what I understand though there's been a sort of revisioning of it the story is pretty much the same so yeah maybe read the book first
0: Mm, okay, so good happy tonight. ending and destroyed
1: but, and what about you what are you reading as we as we get to the end of the year
0: i am reading uh it's a book again that's actually had two titles um the copy i'm reading is called the world between two covers i think it was also published as reading the world which is by Anne morgan oh. um and it's uh well it was inspired at least by uh she had a blog or still has a blog called a year of reading the world and she determined to read a book published by someone from every country in the world over the course of a year um yeah. quite the challenge so uh, i mean it's challenge just establishing what the countries were it seems so uh, she landed on a list of 196 countries at the time 2012 i think mm-hmm. it was one of which south sudan was only six months <laughs> into its existence um and yeah it's i'm enjoying it it's not quite what what I thought it would be. I thought it'd be more about like the experience of blogging it and trying to find the books and and what she thought of the books yeah. and that sort of thing. And I guess either because she or the publisher thought that's already online me to do something a bit different. It's more like reflections inspired by that project. So there's there's sections on like the uh growth of self publishing and what that looks like in different countries, or how to write if you're under, under a totalitarian regime, uh, or translation. All these so, so yeah, it's really well researched and really interesting, but it's not really about Reading a book for every country in the world, although there is a list at the end, and I've read one of those books, which is uh, Illustrado by Miguel Sayuku, which is uh, Filipino. Wow,
1: oh, that sounds very interesting. There we are. You're always reading something interesting.
0: <laughs> well, it was given to me by my parents for Christmas last year, and I seem to have a tradition now that each Christmas I read a book that I was given for Christmas the previous year when I think, oh, I still haven't read that. <laughs> so that's one of them.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I also just thought a good moment to reflect now on what a wonderful year of podcasting it's been. I mean, we don't normally mm. have guests in our podcast. And last year we had three. We had Lucy and Claire and, of course, Mary Lawson. So yeah. what a, what an exciting year of podcasting it has been.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to believe we've been doing it for such a long time now. I mean, the, the time goes so fast as you get older. Um, but I think it's lovely to have perspectives on and to actually interview an author when when we'd read the entirety of their earth as well because that's not something mm. we've ever done before I and mean, it's easier to do obviously when someone's only written for well I say only written four books that's still incredibly impressive to have written four yes. books but you know what I mean um and yeah I think it's it's been great that we've we've been able to we've both got busy lives and keeping it up um, and also so many kind comments and people listening yeah. and and asking questions and and getting involved and it's yes it's it's hugely rewarding so thank you for everybody who listens and listens to our ramblings and mostly my (laughs) ramblings i have to say because you're far more prepared prepared and organized than me so i i won't Um, i won't promise to do better next year because i know what i
0: won't (laughs) say Uh, and this if don't worry if this sounds like we're going into a sort of like farewell we're not we're keeping going there's no yeah. plans to stop Yeah. <laughs> <Same>. yeah. um <laughs> right shall we get into our into our top 10 um yeah. would you like to start or shall i start
1: um you start
0: great okay at number 10 uh is a book that my friend wrote my friend noreen masood wrote a flat place uh, which I might've mentioned is nonfiction and it's fascinating. It's a, it's about her interest near obsession with flat landscapes where she grew up in Lahore in Pakistan, but also in which the um, different places she's lived in the UK. And it's also about the connection between those and complex post-traumatic stress disorder that she has. Um, so it's, yeah, two very different things that she brings together brilliantly and it's a very moving um just invocative and involving book covering some really dark difficult things in a way that is thoughtful and beautiful
1: yeah and how did it feel reading something by someone that you know
0: it is yeah I mean I've done it a few times now but it's the first time I've read um she's not it's one of the first memoirs I've read by a friend and um she's someone I know more online now we did know each other in person when we first met but we don't live in the same place anymore so we haven't seen each other in person for for a good number of years but it, it is quite strange knowing a lot more about someone than they know about you in that way yeah um yeah and I've actually had that before with someone from church who wrote a very moving memoir uh, so suddenly it's like I know now you're in my thoughts you you know like my first name um so yeah <laughs> uh, uh so I imagine weirder for her to have put it out in the world and get people's responses to it but um But I mean, it's always good when you read a friend's book and it's brilliant. So that helped. It was always nerve wracking if it's going to be bad. But yeah, thankfully, it was absolutely brilliant.
1: Well, that sounds really interesting. And yeah, I would imagine it is really interesting to read something written by someone, you know, and and it's like, oh, this is giving me a whole new insight into you as a person um and yeah. probably in a in a way that you would never have found out naturally because there are some things that you just don't bring up in conversation so
0: not yeah and i'd never heard of complex post-traumatic stress disorder either which is basically uh post-traumatic stress disorder but from a sustained period of s- deep stresses and deep um, you know things happening to you rather than you know we often think of post-traumatic stress disorder as you know, yeah, regular post-traumatic stress disorder is more about specific events like from war mm. or, or you know torture or something whereas yeah complex post-traumatic stress disorder is a response to a much l- longer period of sustained trauma so yeah that was really interesting yeah. to learn about that as well
1: yeah I can imagine well oh, sounds intriguing I should, I should look that up Okay, so that was your number ten.
0: That was my number ten.
1: Yeah. So my number ten is a a non-fiction as well, actually, Um, but a totally different topic. Um, Called "Noble Ambitions" by Adrian Tinniswood. and it's about the uh, the story of the country house between between Mm. the wars, very specifically. Actually, or post-war, I forget exactly. That's bad, isn't it? I don't remember. It's on the shelf. I'll just have a check. Um, sorry. Bang on about something. It's not on about this. <laughs> um, the fall and rise of the post-war country house. So it's about post-war, um, like looking in the nineteen forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, etc. What happened to to the country house? And Adrian Tinniswood re- wrote uh, a book called The Long Weekend, which was about uh, the kind of the dying days of the country house in Edwardian, um, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century period And I really enjoyed that. So when this book came out, I got this. I think I got this for christmas last year and i I did read it so that was good um and i really like his writing he's he's a really kind of gossipy writer which i love so he (laughs) drops in those those little more personal details and, and anecdotes of of stories about people and um their relationships with each other and how people are connected and the kind of scandals and things i enjoy reading about that but it's also looks at Uh, sort of how people each chapter's got a different theme and it looks at um it kind of challenges the perception that country house life after the 1940s was um in decline I mean it was in in to some respects but also it was a huge time of people being able to snap up the uh, big country houses quite cheaply and then think about using them in different ways so you've also got um, the development of country house tourism the national trust etc etc so i found it absolutely fascinating lots of really interesting stories lots of, of um lovely tidbits of information about individual houses and um individual people that i hadn't heard of before like, That the problem with reading the book is it took me ages because every chapter i right, would be constantly having to stop to go and google something um <laughs> like, oh gosh that's interesting i need to find out more about that or i want to get in a, a picture of that and um etc so i'm uh, really really enjoyable and um if anyone is interested in life in britain after the war or about English architecture or country house architecture is highly recommended. It's a really enjoyable read and not dry at all.
0: It does sound fascinating, and particularly what you mm. say about um, it uh, not disappearing after the war, because yeah, I've said like oh, it more or less disappeared at that point. But interesting that mm. it kept going. I mean,
1: you know, a very a, a different way of life. I mean, people could yeah. get servants and so on, but um, it was about people—a lot of people who had money and who wanted to sort of play at being a aristocrat and going back to the past a little bit there so it's quite
0: interesting. Mm. yeah does it have pictures and things
1: it does have pictures and, and you would enjoy it because there's quite a lot in here about the Duchess of Devonshire and she is in fact ah. the front cover so ah.
0: there we are mm. amazing well yeah. um My number nine is actually the first of three books on my list that have the word house in the title, Ah. which uh, is A Bird in the House by Margaret Lawrence. Uh, And people might remember that Margaret Lawrence was my number one spot last year with The Jest of God. Um, Mm. And uh, I bought up lots of Margaret Lawrence things whilst in Canada this year. And this is one of the ones I bought in Vancouver. Um, It's the final one well not the final in the series but the final one for me to read from have five book Manawaka uh, sequence which is five tangentially related or, or in some yeah, very tangentially in some cases books set in this um, fake place called Manawaka in Manitoba um, and The Bird in the House is the only one that's short stories but they're linked short stories so they're all about the same a person called Vanessa who's eight at the beginning of it and um you sort of it's not quite chronological but you, she's sort of vaguely chronological she's an adult by the end and it's um yeah just stories about her life where um some of them quite significant things happen others it's more about friendships that she had briefly they're very poignant they're very beautiful and it's a reminder of what a wonderful writer she is um I also read um the Fire Dwellers, which is another in the sequence this year, I was quite disappointed by that one, um, largely because it didn't have speech marks, and that put me off. So this <laughs> one has speech marks. Um and yeah, it's it's not A Jest of God remains my favourite in, in the in the five. Um but this one was marvelous too.
1: Yeah, I remember we read one, didn't we? Um I can't remember what it was. Cool. Oh, do we do
0: the Diviners? Yeah
1: yeah but I never finished reading actually I have to say it didn't it didn't appeal to me in the same way and i'm I'm quite sad about that because I know that you're such a huge fan of hers and i felt I feel like they should be books that I enjoy, but I mean I just found it hard going. I don't know um I can't remember exactly why, but
0: I mean it was very long that one i mean a jest of God mm-hmm. is about a teacher called Rachel so... <laughs> Maybe that's I the mean I feel though.
1: like I feel like that's my book so um, <laughs> I, I shall I shall read that one. Okay so what's my okay. number nine? Look. So my number nine is uh, The Other Side of the Bridge by Mary Lawson yeah. um, So for those of you who listened to our Mary Lawson episode you would have heard I had not heard of Mary Lawson or read any Mary Lawson before Simon um, recommended that we, we read her books and also had managed to to secure her as a special guest on the podcast so that was a huge in, um, incentive for me to, to read and I wasn't entirely sure what to expect and I I kind of started reading The Other Side of the Bridge thinking oh okay this is interesting and then just absolutely. I mean, I've, the first of hers that I read was A Town Called Solace, which is also wonderful. I mean, if I could just put Mary Lawson in general, <laughs> on that, that, that would be, that would, that would, yeah. I don't know if that's allowed. Um, but I, I preferred The Other Side of the Bridge out of all of the books of hers that I read because it's such an um, emotionally moving exploration of of relationships within, I mean all of her books are wonderful explorations of relationships within families but this one in particular the relationship between the two brothers at the center of the story and um their the the struggles that they face and the jealousies that they face etc um really interesting so I just thought it was and also has a really good kind of an uh, uh, well, you probably saw it coming, I never see anything coming in, in books, but um, oh,
0: neither,
1: uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay, like uh, a twist towards the end that is just you know, like, whoa, okay, I didn't see that happening, and I think something that I find really, found really interesting about The Other Side of the Bridge as well was how she she used uh, a kind of an, a narrator who was outside of the story, I thought that was an interesting way into um, the book I found it interesting from a writer's perspective as well, thinking about how she constructed it, so I just thought it's While her books are really kind of restful and, um, you know, they're not intellectually demanding, but at the same time, that is because they're so well written, I think. She kind of does all the work for you. So, um, yeah, absolutely brilliant and so good at evoking also life in Canada at a particular period of of time, sort of the 1940s, 1930s, and so much research, I know, went into it from her end, from what she told us during the podcast or the 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 talking that she did to people who lived through those times and experienced what is obviously quite a challenging part of the world to live in in terms of the it being so rural so reliant on the weather etc so um yeah absolutely magnificent and I have you to thank Simon for introducing me to Mary so there we
0: are yeah and I'm so glad you enjoyed it yes two years ago I think that was my book of the year so yes I can full, yeah. fully agree with it being on your list and um i mean yeah i just can't get over the fact that we got to talk to her and she yeah, told us all, all about it and all the others and it's not the last time we will hear her name in this list um, ah. <laughs> okay. there
1: um, we are.
0: but at number eight i've got um temples of delight by barbara trapedo uh, this mm-hmm. is the third one i've read by her so i've read brother of the more famous jack which i loved and then noah's ark that i didn't like and um this one w- this one uh I think I put up a question on saying which one should I read next and a few people mentioned this one. Um, It's quite big and it's mostly about, well it starts off being about this friendship between these two schoolgirls called um, Alice and Jem. And Alice is quite, uh, she's, I can't remember if it's first person or not, but she's sort of the focal point and she's quite nervous and bookish and shy. Uh, and doesn't have many friends. And then into her life steps Jem, who's this whirlwind person who's had all these extraordinary things happen to her and, and just seems very exuberant and um, a delight to be around. And Jem is delighted and surprised that, sorry, Alice is delighted and surprised that Jem wants to be her friend. Uh, and it's, it's, it's um, I won't say anything else that happens, but basically the whole novel is really sustained by that exuberance that we see at the beginning. And it's a really interesting portrait about female friendship, about um, yeah, the difference that a uh, really unusual person can make in someone's life and, and sort of the long aftermath of that friendship. Um, Barbara Trepita writes, it's quite weird in a way. She, write, she writes a bit, I do know, sort of like Barbara cummins E, but without not quite that weird. But um but there's something always slightly off kilter about her writing that that I really appeals to me, um, and yeah, it's a strange and wonderful book.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard of Barbara Tepede. What is the her? She's got a book that's really well known that's got like a musical instrument in the title. Oh,
0: Sex and Stravinsky,
1: maybe. Maybe I um, don't the know. Tra- the
0: traveling horn player.
1: Oh, maybe I don't know. I know that you've uh, spoken about her a few times and I've often thought about I I often see her books in charity shops and think, oh, I must buy one and, and try one, but I've never actually felt that yeah. compelled to pick one up, so Yeah,
0: I think Brother of the More Famous Jack is her most famous one probably and her first right. one. Um but and it's and it is very good, but this this is my favourite of the three that I've read.
1: Do you think I would like her?
0: Um, I think so, yeah um I think maybe you prefer Brother of the More Famous Jack actually, so maybe go okay. for that one. And then I think I'm right in saying that there's—I um, might be getting this wrong. I think yeah. So there's Brother of More Famous Jack, and then Temples of Delight, and then I think the third there's a third book. It might be Traveling Horn Player, where characters from those two novels m- interact and meet each other. So, the, so oh, yeah, so those two aren't linked, there. but there's a third one that brings them together. So yeah I've not read that yet. but mm-hmm. I, I've got all of her. Oh, well, she only wrote six or seven books, but I've got them all. So. Um, yeah, I mean, is she I still alive? Must... I think so. I went, I went to hear a talk maybe ten years ago, um, but I think she's still alive. Yes, yeah.
1: And is she? I feel like New Zealand or South Africa or. Um, oh, that's a good question.
0: Because um, I was thinking she was British, but she might be one of these people who was. Oh yeah, so she's yeah British, but born in South Africa.
1: Oh, there we go! I don't know how I knew that random knowledge that just pops up. <laughs> and <Not> she <laughs> more, <read the>
0: <laughs> and she is alive, and she's in her mid eighties. So uh gosh, might wow. have some more novels in her. You never know.
1: Wow, how exciting! Okay, so that's another person for me to to add to the list. I've got to um just as a as a brief side as we're going through our list. I when I was looking at my list and, and making my choices as to what I would I would pick, um, I was. Quite surprised by how few challenging books, I suppose, or you know, um, uh, classics or um, modern classics that that were on the mm. list. I think I um, it was interesting as well to see patterns. I'm sure you can see them in yours as well. Like with I changed jobs halfway through the year, and I read hardly anything the first half of the year because my job I was doing it was so time consuming and stressful. And the books that I was reading while I was doing that job were very much. Um, Kind of throwaway murder mystery, sort of just mm. mindless books that I didn't have to concentrate on. And, and as I've obviously had then time over the summer and then started a job teaching English again, my reading has got a little as massively upped. And also, I've got loads of books in there that I read for school and more sort of ambitious, more thoughtful books. And um but it has made me think I really need to, I want to be a bit more intentional next year. About what mm, I read, rather mm. than just just picking books up because I, uh, I like going with like what I feel like today. I, I want to actually make a, a list of, of books I want to, I want to read and seek out to read books I feel. I'm often people, you know, my students will say to me, "Oh, Miss, you know, have you read this?" or you know, insert famous book here. And the, the shame when I have to be like, gosh, you know what? No, I've <laughs> never read that. So I, I want to be a little bit more um, targeted this year about making sure that I do force myself to read some of those those books that i've been meaning to read for years because otherwise when am i going to get around to them
0: yeah and it's such a joy when uh a book on the sh- that's been waiting on the shelf turns out to be brilliant and uh yeah yeah but i think it's, it's also fine like there are some times when what you need from books is just a distraction and it's fun and it's fine yeah that's fine for a period isn't yeah. It? So, yeah yeah
1: yeah also interesting, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably fairly the same for you. I mean, I have I read, I think, two out of the nearly 100 books I read were nonfiction. The rest was fiction.
0: Um, I yeah, I read, I normally read about a 3rd nonfiction, so I do read quite a lot. Um, oh, right. So, uh, yeah, I think particularly because, particularly now I've got more into audiobooks as well, I really like non-fiction audiobooks, so I think that's up to my number as well.
1: I need to get better at that. So I'm going to be more intentional. I've got so many unread nonfiction books. It's terrible.
0: Yeah, there'll be a few more appearing in my top 10, in fact.
1: You're putting me to shame here, (laughs) look. Okay. All right. What number were we up to? Number Number eight. eight. Okay. So my number eight is a book called The Lost Honour of Katharina Blum by Heinrich Boll oh. um, a German translation quite a, it's a novella I was reading it um, to to see whether I would like to teach it to my students or not my sixth formers and it's a really really interesting book and it's all about um, really interesting narration style as well um, it's about a, a girl who gets accused of of murder and basically she hasn't done it but uh we know that. Um and it's about um the way that the press treats her and the way that she is is a kind of essentially harassed and judged before um and her life picked apart and the way in which things are twisted and manipulated by the media in order to present people in, in particular, in a particular way and how that destroys lives, essentially. And um, it's not a, a contemporary novel at all. It's um, I'm just going to look up, actually, when it was written. I think it was, um, and it was, for me, a really interesting read. It was written in 1974, um, mm. a, a really kind of detached, cold narration, but a clever... Um, sort of um oh no sorry she has committed she does kill somebody which we do know that's quite different yeah she (laughs) does kill somebody but it's um it's thinking about why she's why she's done it and um the way that she's presented is completely different from who she really is um and the reasons why she's done what she what she's done are really interesting and thinking about you know what motivates people to to kill and also um can killing ever be justified and the way in which the media sort of manipulates things and is it is it possible to have a fair trial for example when you've got a media that is hounding people for information that's talking to your best friend when you were five and dredging up all this information about oh well there was this one time when she did this which means that she's evil etc and really thinking about i think particularly written something written in the 1970s thinking about the start of, of kind of real mass media and gossip magazines and um all that kind of uh, celebrity culture, which I know was before then, but you know, like the more the way in which I'm becoming more obsessed with it, um and I, I just found it really, really interesting, and um not like anything I'd read before. It was kind of dark and but not depressing. in In some ways, it reminded me a little bit of In Cold Blood, but without cool. the the true story and without the I mean, In Cold Blood is a book I would never be able to read again, but. This I would read again it wasn't that kind of dirty feeling in that sense but it was still um really fascinating and a great blessing always to have a really short book um (laughs) I think you know something that's that's that packs a heavy punch but in a small number of pages it was quite an intense reading experience I decided in the end not to teach it because I thought it would be a bit too the, the narrative voice was a bit too complicated for my students but um it was, yeah, pretty interesting. And one that I would never have picked up if a colleague at work hadn't have recommended it to me. So I just thought, oh, wow, that's, I've really enjoyed that. I should read more by him as well.
0: Yeah, I recognise the name, but I've not heard of that. Is it? Does he have a more famous one? Is it...
1: um, do you know what? I'm not sure. I've not actually heard of him before, but, I mean, he's a big deal um, and won the kind of put it, so far, Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, what is his most famous book? Um, his best-known works, billiards at half past nine. Um, never said a word. I mean, I'd never heard of anything, but um, I, I must recommend... just have seen his
0: name on a list of Nobel winners, Prize winners yeah. or something. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that does sound really good. Very interesting. Um,
1: mm. I think you'd enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned in cold blood, that doesn't make me nervous because I hated it in cold blood. But if it's no, um, no, it's not. I mean, it's yeah. not.
1: It's just a sort of, you know. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's not like that
0: okay interesting yeah i mean i guess the fact yeah. that it's not true also helps because that that was that yeah it's felt a bit screamish reading in cold blood on because of it being about real yeah. people um interesting gosh what a varied list already or any three in yeah. um my seven is uh to go back to that book. wait their time was a book that was given to me in 2008 and i finally read it um the bird in the tree by elizabeth good not to be confused with The bird in the house by margaret lawrence um it's uh have you read the bird in the tree no, probably, probably. i have i have ah, yeah. excellent yeah so as you'll know it's the first of a trilogy on the elliot family um i've now read the second and i'm halfway through the third and um she's just the thing that i think she's really good at is making places feel like home so it's this this big old house called um what is it called Demerose, Demerose or something like that but um which isn't like this ancient ancestral home they've only moved there relatively recently but uh but it is this massive place and there's all these different generations um coming together there and she's so good at making you feel like you're in the place she's talking about and really and really loving a place and I guess there's there's lots of different plots but the, the key one is somebody wanting to have an affair with someone that they probably shouldn't and um and elizabeth Googe is not afraid to make the novel one about self-sacrifice which i found really interesting there's a there's a matriarch of the family called L- lucilla who is uh basically says please don't do this i know you want to but don't it will hurt too many people and a modern novel might say you've got to be true to yourself and she's okay with saying actually what you want isn't more important than what other people want and I found it really unusual for that. Um, maybe not so unusual for its time, which is 1940, but I certainly felt unusual to read it now. Um, and it doesn't feel preachy to me. It's just about people who are saying what they believe and living it out, I guess. Um, so yeah, I really loved it. I read a few Elizabeth Gouge, but this is the one that made me uh, really, really turn to a Googe fan.
1: Mm. Okay. I mean, I hated it
0: now you say um, that it comes back to me that you said that before yes yeah
1: I hate it um I found it very um I didn't like the main character what's her name Lucilla Lucilla Lucilla, Lucilla
0: I love Lucilla so much Lucilla. But, um, no I, yeah.
1: I found her manipulative and controlling actually um so yeah, I didn't like it at all and I found it I mean, I love the, the setting and um I love the depiction the of the children, etc. But her as a character I just couldn't stand her.
0: Well, interestingly, she doesn't really turn up in the second one, so you might prefer the second one if you okay. ever do
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's there, sort of the peripheries and I kept thinking, I want Morley Silla, but yeah, maybe maybe other people didn't like her either.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna i was, I'm gonna I would kill you if you were in, um if I had to deal with you so yeah. There we are. sorry about that but i'm glad you loved it so much
0: yeah and i'm glad you've read it so you didn't choose it for the next episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) no definitely won't be on my list um okay so my next one which is up to number seven now aren't we um is Dr. Sarah Cold by Helen Ashton.
0: I wondered if she'd pop up yes.
1: (laughs) She's yeah I mean I could have chosen any any one of her wonderful books but um, Helen Ashton is somebody who I have really enjoyed reading a lot of her her work this year Uh, for people who've not heard of her she's uh, one of the novelists republished by Persephone books so the book that's republished by Persephone is called Bricks and Mortar um, she was writing in, from the 20s, twen- well, actually, she started writing um, in the sort of 1910s. Um, she actually uh, apparently disowned her first couple of books that she wrote and uh, was not proud of, of the work that she'd done. I haven't managed to track those down, so I can't judge the quality. And um, from the the nineteen late 1920s onwards, she is quite prolific and writes uh, kind of um some really interesting biography, uh, some of I don't know, like fictionalized biographies in some ways, of um, of literary figures. But also, she wrote a lot of medical novels. She was a trained doctor herself, and also wrote a really good trilogy of wartime novels. Um, so, Doctor Sarah Cold is a, a probably her was her most popular book, and was made into a film, and also is a Penguin paperback which is, is fairly easy. It's not in print at the moment, but it is quite easy to get hold of secondhand. So I didn't want to recommend one of her books. It's really hard to get hold of. So this mm-hmm. one is, is easy to get hold of. And it's basically um, this, the, a day in the life of a, a country doctor. And he's nearing the end of his career. He's, he's in his late 60s. And it's, the book is, is was written and set in the 30s. So it's before the NHS and... Um, is looking at the kind of the pressures on on a man who is responsible for so many people from birth to death and who also is very aware that for some of his his patients they can't afford him so how do you like work around that and also it's not just about the day-to-day dealing with his patients and so on which there is a lot of that in the local people but it, it's also a reflection on a man nearing the end of his career and thinking have I done all that I could have done? Is the work that I've done, um, can I be proud of what I've achieved? What has it been worth anyway? What legacy am I leaving behind? It's a really um, beautiful book, actually, and a really Mm. powerful one about our worth as individuals and what we mean to each other and community. Um, And I just found it so moving and so fascinating as well to read about the work of a doctor and you can tell that she is she was a doctor and she knows what she's talking about as well which helps. Um and I just thought it was absolutely charming and wonderful. And I'm actually quite surprised that um this was not the one that Persephone chose to be published, though I wonder Mm -hmm. whether it is because it's there's a male protagonist, I don't know. But um I absolutely loved every minute of it and I really highly recommend it. It is fairly easy to get hold of second hand, not too expensive. So if you find a copy then um, please we get hold of one.
0: Yeah, I wonder why she made it a, a male doctor rather than a female doctor, if given her experience. Well,
1: I suppose that you wouldn't have found female country doctors at the time, would you? Really. Um, Maybe the oldest most comment, doctors yeah. was, was still male, um, because women had to I mean she stopped um stopped working as a doctor when she got married. I mean that was the expectation. So um yeah, but it's it's interesting because you sort of start seeing in this book change starting to happen and um, there is a female doctor and um, coming in and in her book that she wrote after this one, which is also set in a hospital called Yeoman's Hospital, which is also fairly easy to get hold of. There are female doctors in that, which is really interesting. You look at the pressures on their lives as well and the different expectations on them as women. So, um, yeah, really interesting. But And you don't necessarily have to be interested in medicine to find it interesting, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I was wondering which, uh, I assumed Helen Ashton might appear, and I was wondering which one you choose. I, I still haven't read any more. Well, I've read the one we did on the podcast, um, which I now don't remember the name of. What was it? Half Crown House. Half
1: know. Half Crown House,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah which was wonderful. Um, and I've read Bricks and Mortar, but I have not read um, any of the others yet. But, uh, but very interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah, my number six was the most... Um, What's the word I want? It's sort of a gamble or just a surprise, uh, which uh, I just stumbled across it in Hay and Why. I thought, "Oh, why not?" And then absolutely loved it. It's called "The Self Portrait of a Literary Biographer" by Joan Givner. Um, I'd never heard of Joan Givner. I barely knew the person she wrote a biography of, who is Catherine Ann Porter. I've got a book of hers, but I've not read it. An American short story writer, and probably other things. Um, But this book is so unusual and so fascinating. It's done as I can't remember, several hundred numbered, it feels like index cards, but they're sort of vignettes, I guess. Um, some of which follow on from each other, some of which have nothing to do with the previous one and go off on tangents. And they're about the process of researching and writing a biography, but they're also about her childhood, about dealing with her older parents, about what's led her to this career, about all sorts of things. Um, and it sounds like it would be really disjointed, but um, there's something about it, even, even though technically it is disjointed, it just really flows together. And um yeah such an unusual way of writing a book but I found it so so compelling and if anyone has read Kate Briggs um of this little art about translation which similarly has sort of often just one or two paragraphs on a page and they're all separate uh it, it had that same sort of impression to me where it's weirdly like a page turner even though it's really just a whole bunch of different separate thoughts um yeah, and I mean she she also wrote short stories. I've not tried any of those yet. But I think she's a name that's more or less forgotten. But um but but even if you have no interest in Catherine Ann Porter and I didn't, uh, I think it's still a really, really wonderful book.
1: How interesting. And interesting that even though, you know, you're not interested in what the topic is about or know nothing about who the topic is about, it's still interesting as a as a kind of meditation on the process.
0: Yeah, and yeah. even when it's just about her life, like I do like memoirs for people I don't know anything about and who aren't particularly famous because often you know, everyone's life is interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, intriguing. You have got an intriguing list of books there. <laughs> okay. So um, my number six is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's a book that came out a couple of years ago. And two separate people I know got it for me. So I was like, well, <laughs> this is obviously supposed to be up up my street. And it's set in New York in the 1940s um, and is centred around a protagonist, Vivian, who um, is brought up to be a very proper um, girl with wealthy parents, brought up to to make a good marriage and to be a housewife, uh, when the war comes along, that upends everything and changes her perspective. And it's a most unexpected story, really, because I thought it was going to go down quite a conventional route. And actually, um, it doesn't at all. And it shows a really radical exploration of a woman who chooses to live life on her own terms without settling down and, um, you know, just pursuing the life that she wants for herself without without a man and. I absolutely loved every minute of it. I mean, I always love stuff set in New York. So It reminds me of people who have come to the podcast many years ago now, a good 10 years ago. I lived in mm. New York um, and it was the most wonderful experience of my life. And it's um, always lovely to go back to those days in my head and to reminisce and go, think, oh, yeah, I know where that is, etc. Um, I also read this book while on on my most amazing holiday I've ever had, uh being in on Safari in Africa, which also helped um me loving the experience because I was <laughs> while I was re- reading it, I was sitting on my um terrace looking across the Zambezi River. So um
0: wow.
1: it was yeah, it was quite a special experience, but a wonderful book that I literally couldn't put down. It was so good, so enjoyable, and everyone I know who's read it has has also loved it. So it's a it's a real I think Elizabeth Gilbert gets a lot of of stick. She's mainly only known for Eat, Pray, Love, which I don't actually think is representative of her talents. She wrote another amazing book, one of my favourites actually, called um, The Signature of All Things, which is about a female botanist in the 18th century, which... You know, totally up my street and she writes so well she's a very literary writer she's a very very good writer and she does a hell of a lot of, of research into the topics that she's writing about she deserves a lot more um credit than she's given for the quality of her prose so i really would recommend city of girls
0: yeah yeah i mean i definitely think of her as the eat pray love woman and never <laughs> think of anything else and not <laughs> i've read eat pray, eat pray love i just i don't know Maybe maybe I'd love you pray love, I don't know. But um, that sounds interesting, yeah. Um, good mm-hmm. title as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh, it's going to be really hard to choose which which of the, your books I want to read to for <laughs> the next episode, because I want to read all of them, apart from obviously the one yeah. I've already read um, yeah. so far. Uh, well, whilst you read that, looking at the Zambezi, I read my next choice in The Late District, so um, basically the same. Um, it's Day <laughs> by Michael Cunningham. Uh, which actually isn't out in this country yet. It is out in America. I was going Um, to
1: say, I was just reading about that and I was like, that's not out yet. I know.
0: (laughs) Well, thankfully, I managed to get a review copy of it, um, which I can't imagine why, because, you know, Michael Cunningham's going to sell a million copies whether or not stuck in a book writes about it but um but I, I do have a review coming out actually on shiny new books soon they're waiting to the uk publication date which i think is in february maybe but it came out okay. um a couple of months ago also in america uh long-term listeners to the podcast will know i love michael cunningham i've read everything he's written so i've been eagerly waiting the next novel and it's been a long time since we had a novel from him um apparently there's one in between that he scrapped uh oh and yeah, I was going Michael Publisher. Um, so day is, um, it's all set on a particular day in April, but the morning of that day is in 2019, the afternoon is in 2020, and the evening is in 2021. Not It's not time travel, I hope, I'm, I hope I've been clear. Basically, it's just <laughs> morning from one year, afternoon from one year, and evening from another year. And as of co- we all know, of course, uh, that covers before and during the Global pandemic, so it is his pandemic novel um he does what he's so good at he's always good at groups of family and non family and friends uh, living in a sort of loving tension with each other um and so it starts with this couple who um are they've been married for a good number of years but they' they're, they're beginning to think that maybe the marriage isn't working um her brother lives in their attic um and he lives his life through this Instagram persona he's made up. Uh, they've also got a couple of children. They've got various other friends. Um, I was imagining that when the pandemic came, they'd all be claustrophobic in that flat together, but or in that house together, but that it actually goes a different direction from that. It's quite interesting what he chooses to do. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's not my absolute favourite of his novels, but it's definitely a really, really good one. And uh, he's just so good at getting a group of people and then really crystallizing the relationship between any two of them like there's any two of them you know exactly how they feel about each other um, even if they don't have that many conversations with each other um, and his mm. usual beautiful prose so uh, yeah day Michael Cunningham.
1: Exciting though naughty because those of us in the UK can't read it yet um interestingly enough actually I noticed because you mentioned to me a couple of months ago that um Edward Carey's new book was out and it's out in the Mm. US but it's not available until October in the UK and I don't understand that
0: I didn't know that oh come on he's British come on I know
1: I know at least Michael
0: Cunningham is American you can forgive them for having their own you know their own writers early but come on
1: I know, it's very unfair. So I have read all of these glowing reviews. I'm like, how can how can I get hold of this book though? I guess I could probably get it from book depository.
0: That's um, true. Yeah. I do have a friend actually in America for a wedding at the moment, maybe I should message her and be like, whilst well, you're there <laughs> if you
1: could <laughs> pop to a bookshop. A get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so oh that does sound great. I mean, as you know, I'm a huge fan of the hours as well. Um yeah. though I have never never read any of his other books so perhaps this could be Mm. the one yeah
0: Mm. i mean it's certainly um, yeah i think it's worth it yeah
1: okay all right so we're up to five now aren't we there we go we are indeed so um my number five is another novella called the buddha in the attic by julie otsuko um and is a book that i picked up i cannot imagine where i don't know i think i just well, you it picked it up because we
0: did a, we did an episode on it, <laughs> and I suggested oh, did that you? episode. Oh, did we? <laughs> yes. Oh, there we are. There we go. Again. <laughs> we, d- <Look> <laughs> we did it with, um, oh gosh, the uh, Jamaica Kincaid one, Lucy. Uh, yes,
1: Lucy, yes. Um, yes, that makes sense. So, um, which you did not like, actually, at all, did you? I didn't, no, so, but I did like the border no. in the attic, yeah. Yeah, well, there we are. So, as did I. So, um, I thought it was absolutely marvellous. So, what well, it's about women living in, uh, Japanese immigrants living in America um, during the 19, sort of early 19th century up to 1940. And it sort of finishes with World War II and the enforced um, movement of Japanese immigrants into concentration camps in America. Um, Would we call them concentration camps? Um,
0: yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think they did, basically were, weren't yeah. they?
1: And I would say quite unique in the novel, certainly that I've read in its narration, because it's there is no protagonist they are these women are spoken about as a an enti- like a almost like a singular entity, and you're kind of moving in between different experiences, but you're never really with one mm. person you're each of these people are kind of a all of the stories that you're hearing is sort of representative types, I suppose, in a way. It's so lyrical, the writing, and so unusual in the way that it's told. And for me, I found the the writing absolutely beautiful to 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 read, very poetic. But I also found the the way in which we were able to move between so many different women's experiences while never really being with a a woman really interesting. I'd never read. Something that kind of carried me through a novel in that way before, and uh, there's no real sort of plot to speak of either. But somehow it moves forward. I mean, I couldn't even. It's really difficult to describe. You have to kind of read it to understand it. But um, also, I, I really knew nothing about this, this period in American history or Japanese ex- American experiences. And for me, it was a real eye opener. And uh, really fascinating to read and saddening really to read about those experiences and and maybe want to find out more so um it it was just a really beautiful reading experience so thank you Simon for another one that's made it onto <laughs> my list
0: yeah in fact after we did that so it was, I just looked up episode 118 if anyone wants to go and hear more about that um after that I was I went to when I went to Canada we went to um the what was it called museum of vancouver i think in or something like that in vancouver which has a whole section on japanese people or people who of japanese descent being sort of rounded up and sent off to these camps and having to leave everything behind so it was really interesting extra context uh to that to that novel obviously different country but similar experiences um yeah okay Hello, jumping in here because I thought we'd get some more people's favourite reads of the year, and I asked people in our Patreon community, patreon.com forward slash T or Books, where you can support the podcast, what their favourite reads were. And we've got some great suggestions. I'm going to go through some of those. So Greer said she had two clear favourites. In Thunderclap, a memoir of art and life and sudden death by Laura Cumming, the author beautifully weaves the story of 17th-century Dutch painters with memories of her own life and that of her artist's father. And I loved every bit of To Serve Them All My Days by RF Delderfield, the immersive story of a boy's public school in Exmoor between the wars. Um, I've meant to read Laura, Laura Cumming. What Did she write the one about a beach on, chap, on Chapel Sands? On, is that her? But I love, I love it when people merge uh, their own lives with the person they're writing a biography about. Sounds fascinating. Elizabeth says her favourite book was The Pillars of the House by Charlotte M. Young. Uh, she adds it's very long and victorian sorry simon haha yes i won't be reading it for that but rachel might uh, story of the underwood family of 13 children whose parents die early in the story of course they do it's a victorian children's story um she writes family dynamics beautifully love the characters and move to laughter and tears um and we you his faith in beautifully too but well, that sounds great alicia suggests the cue by beth brower um never heard of that it's set in an england-like fictional country in the victorian era it's about a young woman a rather eccentric periodical called the Q, just the letter q and a list of requirements in her uncle's will which she must meet without knowing what they are the writing at times is beautifully lyrical and i found a lot to unpack in it she read it more than once this year Well, that does sound really interesting heidi oh heidi's the one who sent me a uh... Miss Hargrave's first edition back in the day. Thank you, Heidi. I loved Magnificent Rebels by Andrea Wolf. Wolf, maybe? About a group of philosophers, poets, writers in late 18th century Germany who pioneered Romanticism, where I was with what must have been thousands of extant letters. Um, and then read The Blue Flower by Pliny Fitzgerald, uh, considered historical fiction, yes, and focuses on one group, the poet Novelis. Um I really enjoyed that book. I didn't know anything about novelist or Novalis. Don't know how to say his name. But, I mean, Penelope Fitzgerald is always great. But it had quotes from the same letters, maybe. No. Might got confused there. But really interesting. Jill, for me... Jill says, for me, it was the perfect golden circle by Benjamin Myers. It's a very gentle story of two unlikely displaced characters whose lives are made rich and joyous by making crop circles. Wow. Um, Everyone got one for Christmas. Jill's a bookseller. Jill knows what she's talking about. Um, I love the idea of that. I wonder if that's new. Hannah says I love Possession by S. Byatt. Me too. First book I've read by her but won't be the last. It's my favourite of the ones I've read, Hannah. Um, I did like the Matisse stories. Um, what else I read? I can't remember. Uh, the Game. That was it. That was good. It was one of those rare occasions where it felt almost like a book was written with me as exact audience. Love that. My book, not just my book of the year, but one of my favourites of all time. Amazing. <coughs> I really like the film. Not everyone does. Gina, gosh, Gina has a lot of favourites because she says it's so many favourites it's hard to choose one but she was going to tie between five I'm just going to read the titles then (laughs) All the Dogs in My Life by Elizabeth Von Arnim I have very mixed feelings about that book but I did overall plus Mrs. Appleyard's Year by Louise Andrews Kent surprisingly hard to say out loud Pleasures and Palaces by Juliet Wilbur Tompkins Albert's Christmas by Alison Jezard and The Still Meadow Road by Gladys Tabor um there's also a bunch of runners up there i'm glad he has such a good reading year that's amazing including a better taste by marjorie stewart i imagine, i remember gina mentioning on um on instagram and then finally harry said i came to vikram a suitable boy after stu- after streaming Mira Nair's terrific adaptation for television aside from immersion in the lives of many many different characters drawn from all strata of society i learned a lot about india in general and post-colonial india in particular um wow <laughs> i didn't read all 1300 pages in a single setting i can i can imagine why i've only read um an unequal music that's him isn't it i really enjoyed that i did the audiobook um thanks so much for those people who gave me their top books of the year lots i'd not heard of and uh lots to investigate and now i'll go back to me and rachel in the past um won't say very much about my number four because it's mary lawson's that we've already sort of covered so uh road <laughs> road ends is the one i've chosen because it was the i don't include rereads on my list and it was the only one of hers i hadn't previously read um and uh yeah it's about a community in northern ontario like her novels always are except one of for the first time she also goes to london in it where the daughter of, of a family sort of basically escapes this very toxic place that she lives um it's about a man trying to deal with his friend's suicide about that man's father trying to deal with the violent past he had from his own father and about his sister um trying to form a new life for herself it's as everything rachel said earlier it's true it's like mary lawson's wonderful wonderful storytelling and ability to make beautiful literature even without um or whilst also being very sim- simply told in some ways uh but yeah
1: i feel like maybe slightly autobiographical in some ways
0: yeah i mean i'm sure she certainly as she told us on the podcast she hate, hates doing too much research so uh, i'm sure it draws yeah. on what well she said was it did it, yeah it draws a bit on her experience of moving to london at that time although she is she is not making yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are different people yeah. but um, yeah. yeah
1: interesting yeah so that'll be a that could be a, a possible one um mm. okay so my number four is a very recent read Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, actually. I've lost track of time between Christmas and New Year. (laughs) Who knows what day of the week it is. Um, is, uh, This is a bit of a naughty one, really, because it is very hard to get hold of, so I apologise. I'm going to wax lyrical about it and you won't be able to read it. It's it's very out of print. But it's um, For Every Favour by Ruby Ferguson.
0: Ruby Ferguson
1: is mostly known by people who like reading middle brow fiction for uh lady rose and mrs memory which is republished by persephone books is wonderful charming novel and was apparently the favorite book of the queen mother so there we are <laughs> um set in scotland this one is not set in scotland even though there's a very misleading scottish castle on the front cover which i was excited by <laughs> I and mean, i was like this this castle does not feature at all in this story I wonder why they put that on there um and I believe it was her second book that she wrote, um, under the name of Ruby Ferguson, and is an absolutely wonderful, beautiful, absorbing story of a male servant and his life mm. from the eighteen eighties when he was born up until um the end of his life in uh nineteen forties, fifties. And um he is born into poverty and he aspires to be a butler. That's his dream. He sees his dad works as a gardener at a big house and he, he sees the butler one day at the door and is like, that's who I want to be when I'm a grown up. And you watch him kind of work his way up from being the kitchen porter to then being, um, you know, the footman and then getting a job as a butler. And um, he's a really sort of good hearted person and um how he's also taken advantage of and things and he falls in love with the daughter of of his employer which causes all sorts of problems I won't say too much about the plot but um I just found it so interesting I never read a book from the butler's perspective other than the one of my favorite books of all time which is The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Shiguro and this is not the quality of the remains of the day i'm not going to pretend that but it's interesting to have that perspective of a man who is devoted to his job and his profession and then what sacrifices that means in the rest of his life and also when you have that kind of a, a real moral core and other people around you don't and you aren't willing to sacrifice your morals um what does that mean for you in terms of of how does that affect your life and how does that damage your opportunities and your chances? Um, I it wasn't what I was expecting. I bought it because it was going cheap on eBay, and I didn't know what it was about. Couldn't find out much information. The dust jacket was beautiful, so I thought I'm just going to buy it. Uh, it also happens to be signed by Ruby Ferguson, which I didn't know. Oh wow, that's cool. When it arrived, yeah, a really nice no surprise. Um, but I just was so like it was one of those books that I literally couldn't stop reading it. I was sort of walking around the house doing my cooking while holding it open with another hand. Um. <laughs> Just really, really wonderful. So, if people can get hold of it, I would highly recommend it. um I'm sad that it's not more widely available, and I'm hoping somebody at some point might republish it.
0: Wow. And I should say, yes, as you say, she's known for Lady Rose and Miss Memory, but also to a generation or well, generations of schoolgirls as the writer of the Jill's Pony books. So yeah. Yeah. Jill's Jim Carn, yeah. I wants to read. Um, I've just looked it up. Uh, there's one copy available, and it's in Australia. So if you're in Australia, then you're in luck. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I probably won't pick that one, sadly, much as I, it sounds great, because um, I won't be able to get hold of it. And it seems mean to <laughs> have a whole electronic <laughs> book that no one can read. But it sounds great. Um, and yeah. Sometimes, well, I mean, I often buy books that I don't know anything about that sound good, bit or look pretty or something, but I don't often read them. So well done for actually reading it as well. Once you <laughs> once you found I it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> um right, top three now. And I will reveal now actually my top three are all nonfiction. Um unusually. So my third one is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, or possibly Machado. Mm. I'm not sure how you pronounce her surname. Um which actually
1: oh, is
0: Machado, quite... yeah. Machado, okay.
1: Yeah. I had a friend at school with that surname.
0: Ah, helpful. Yeah. And it was quite a big deal when it was published in twenty nineteen. Um I listened to the audiobook and um in some ways it's like the Joan Giffner self-portrait of a literary biographer that I mentioned in that it is told not quite, I guess some of them are vignettes in, in sort of um, disconnected sections, all of which are named after literary tropes or devices or seem, um, so might get like the dream house as memory or the dream house as biography or the dream house as psychoanalysis or what they're not all literary devices, but they're all different frameworks, I guess. Um And it's, in essence a nonfiction memoir of domestic violence um or coercive control that she had with a girlfriend uh, a long-time girlfriend um and but also looks at the history of queer domestic abuse uh so sort it's of, sort of unspoken or undiscussed area of domestic abuse i guess um so it's not a fun always well it's not a fun book at all to read and it, it's quite hard hitting at times but um but so cleverly done, such an unusual take on it, really visceral in some ways, um, but not uh, still not bitter, really, um, which is also impressive. And yeah, I think this and, and The Givner, uh both show me that I really like when people take an unusual twist on a story and tell it a bit out of order and a bit unusually, but really commit to the idea. So it's not, sometimes I get annoyed if, they don't, if they're if they just doing it sort of half-heartedly, whereas this is just so unusual that um that it really works. Uh it's not yeah, mm-hmm. you have to be in the right frame of mind. It's not one to read if you're feeling really sensitive. Um but a really really impressive, extraordinary uh um work, yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Intriguing. Such an interesting list, Simon. Oh,
0: so many really intriguing <laughs> ones. Yeah.
1: Okay, so my number three is one that we've both read already, which is um Sheep's Clothing by Celia Dale. Mm. Um and we did an episode on that fairly recently didn't we yeah alongside um harriet said by beryl bainbridge um sheep's clothing is um a noir novel about uh two women who uh are met while in prison and one's older one's younger and who basically uh pretend to be social services workers to steal old people's money um, going into their houses, drugging them and and taking their money. Um, Sounds awful, um, but it's a really interesting exploration of the criminal mind and also what pushes people into crime. Um, And really interesting as well to look at female villains essentially who are ordinary women who because of their life circumstances, are pushed into well, not pushed into. I mean, they make choices, but um who are twisted in some way by the life mm. that that they've had into becoming people who aren't particularly nice. And I, I it's a dark read, but it's not a. a, a it's still a, a very. It's so well written, and there's so much humour in it, and so much interesting. Uh, depictions of 19 years it was written in the 80s so it's really interesting look as well at 80s society and that kind of period of time when you've still got a lot of grubbiness and uh, London wasn't a particular set in London and wasn't a particularly wonderful place in more insalubrious neighbourhoods. Um I found it absolutely brilliant. I really love Celia Dale's writing and I'm so glad that Dawn Books have brought her back into print. She um has another they republished another one of hers called a helping hand a couple of years ago so this is the second one they've done now um unfortunately the rest of her novels are incredibly difficult to get hold of and they're very expensive so um i'm hoping that they will eventually bring out the whole of her backlist um might be waiting a while but i really highly recommend it if you're interested it's not a kind of murder mystery or anything you know, you're not there to solve a crime it's just you're reading about people who commit crimes and why essentially so i really enjoyed it you didn't like it though did you
0: well i mean it was one of those ones where i, I admired it a lot but it made me feel too sad <laughs> so yeah. yeah um i really liked a helping hand though i thought that, that that worked better for me but yeah as you say episode 123 the previous episode we'd talked about that so if you want to go in here um some more about that that's where they can do so mm-hmm. um yeah uh, my number two is my final house title, which is The House by the Sea by May Sarton. Um, and I think we did Journal of a Solitude in an episode. Is that right? Uh,
1: we did. Yeah. Yes. We did.
0: Um, and this, like that, is one of her journals. So um, I it's the first of her journals I read. I've read some of her novels. I think we did An Education of Harriet Hatfield once on here, maybe. But um, uh I'd not read her nonfiction till this year and I, I mean, I enjoy her novels, but I think her nonfiction is much better. And it's basically a, a journal of some years living in this house by the sea. Um, it's, she's well, She talks a lot about impending death and feeling really old, but I don't think she's actually that old in it, but she's uh, she's very worried about dying alone. She's worried about her literary legacy. She's worried about being known as a poet. Uh, There's a lot of worry in there, but it's also a lot about her, the beautiful place she lives. Um, I think the reason I don't think it's a coincidence that houses turn up quite a lot in, my, in these books because I love people who write well about houses, and she writes really well about her home and the surroundings and what it's like to be there. And she's just a really thoughtful, interesting, um, reflective writer. Uh, she is—it is in some ways very navel-gazing. That's the nature of a journal, I guess, but in a way that I appreciated. Um, yeah, and I—I've—I think it's just maybe I've just read two so far, but uh, but there's, there's plenty of others out there, and uh, I'm sure I will keep reading them.
1: Oh intriguing okay right we're up into the top two now which is um, for me which is uh, a difficult choice actually um, because I loved both of these so much but I think I'm going to stick with what I initially thought so my second is another very recent read which is Landscape in Sunlight by Elizabeth Fair which Mm. is also was originally published in America as All One Summer as well, which I found out because I thought, oh, there's another book I've not heard of. And then I was like, oh, no, it's the same book. Good job I (laughs) didn't buy that that as well. Um, And this has been republished by um, Dean Street Press. Um, And so it is easily available in paperback. Um, And I bought a cheap copy on eBay of the original hardback. It's got a lovely dust jacket, which I really enjoyed. Another one I just bought off the... Off the cuff. Um I read my first Elizabeth Fair several years ago when they were first republished, her work was first republished and loved it. Um I think I read A Winter Away. Um but for some reason you know how it is, you think, Oh my god, I love this, I'm gonna read all of this person's stuff and then you just <laughs> never get around to it. Um so I saw this and thought, you know what, I'm gonna read it. And I was blown away by how yeah. funny and clever and so well characterized, it is. I mean, I was literally laughing out loud on every page, and it's so just so well observed, and so many one liners. I was just like, this is just so true and so funny. Um, and I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those books where it's set in a small countryside community. The main thrust of the novel is that the, the vicar's wife is putting on a fair. Uh, to raise money for the Amazing. That's great. That's the main. That's the main event of everybody's summer. <laughs> um, but there, there is also so much else going on at the same time, and you know all the relationships between the villagers, the petty squabbles that are going on. There's also two characters in the book with my surname, which is the first time I've ever come across my surname in a book, which is very yeah. exciting. <laughs> um, because my surname is quite unusual, so um that was lovely. And I just genuinely thought this is. It's like Barbara Pym, but better, and that's high that's high praise from me, from so, me yeah yeah, um yeah, it is very much like Jane Austen, but twentieth century Jane Austen absolutely brilliant. I cannot understand why she wasn't more famous,
0: amazing, and I think, yeah, I think we did a winter away on an episode here years and years ago, um yeah, which is i I've not I've read two or three Elizabeth hairs, but I've not read that one, so uh very, so would you say it's the best one you've read by her then? Or is it just, just those two you've read?
1: I've read, also read Brampton Wick, um, which was also brilliant, but I would say this this is the best so far. i anyway, not read know. the other, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've read The Native okay. Heath as well, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, uh. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: obviously, obviously didn't have that good an impression then.
0: Yeah, I think I've quite enjoyed it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, and I read uh, Brampton Wick, I think. So maybe I've actually read, yeah, I've read three, um, but I'd definitely be, and treated more. Right, we've got to number one for me. Um, and after you apologize for saying something that's really hard to get, <laughs> I will have to do the same. Weirdly, <laughs> there, there are quite a few copies available, but they all cost a fortune. But I was lucky enough to find this book in a bookshop for a fiver. And it is No Leading Lady by R. C. Sheriff, his autobiography
1: ah.
0: um of sorts, which I might have talked about before, but I'll discuss again. Um, we both love r. c. sheriff. he's a wonderful storyteller yeah. um and he is equally wonderful at telling the story of his own life uh and career, but he doesn't talk at all about his childhood. he's not he just basically launches in with Journey's End, which is his most famous work, a play I've not read or seen the play, and the first hey! two hundred pages of uh of this book are about just really granular detail about Journey's end. From the first idea of having it when he was working doing doing plays with a with a troupe, uh, through its faults and starts towards becoming a success, through it being a whirlwind success, through uh, all its aftermath, um, just in such detail that you it's the sort of thing. Every time I read an author's biography autobiography, I think I really want to know everything about your your writing process and what it's like to be famous and you know, how what it's like to see your words read by others or what or, or on stage and he provides all of that and i loved it and then the rest of it goes on to the rest of his career um including failures he talks about those he also talks about buying his massive house that he then can't afford um uh it's not a what's-and-all memoir by any stretch of the imagination he just you you come away not really knowing that much about his personal life it's much more about his writing life and even then he there are some books and plays that he doesn't mention at all um he does yeah it's it's clearly selective but he's such a consummate storyteller and i absolutely loved it indeed i read it on the same holiday actually it was a work trip but at the same time away that i read day by michael cunningham so it was a very good reading experience that time away uh it is 75 pounds plus if you want to find it online i'm afraid um i'm hoping someone reprints it at some point but it's uh yeah, absolutely glorious book. I loved Every Second.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to say I'm quite jealous and I would love to read it because it's. Uh, you'll have to lend it to me. Yeah, I, I love Journey's End. Um, I did it at school for my GCSE and I remember very fondly those lessons going around the room reading it. We were all in tears at the end. Um, <laughs> and it's such a great play. Um, and R.C. Sherry is such a wonderful novelist. Um Uh, fortnight in september and green gates published by Persephone, such wonderful books in fact Mm. my mom and i were just talking over christmas about how much we love them so um yes what a what a lovely lovely book and to be able to get some insight into his process would would be wonderful but how tantalising and wicked to <laughs> give us a book we can't read, Simon. But.
0: Yeah, and I think probably you know publishers now might think, well, actually, because he doesn't reveal much about himself and he doesn't talk about his childhood and he doesn't talk about his personal life, then they're not interested. Where Maybe it is a niche mm. audience that wants to know this level of clinical detail, but I am certainly that audience. I think you are too. And uh, yeah, for anyone who can find it, um, just, just a complete delight. Oh.
1: Well, that's one for me to be looking out for when I'm in a bookshop, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so my number one um, is another book that we have featured on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is Old Filth by Jane Garden.
0: Uh.
1: And this uh, book, and it's sort of, I mean, we can't really call them sequels, can we? Because they're all sort of happening at the same time as each other, but just told from different yeah. perspectives. Uh, were my favourite reads of the year. If I, I put all of them as as number one read, but Old Filth was my favourite of the of the three that I read. And it's the story of uh, Edward Filth, is his nickname, um who's a barrister, and his life from childhood to old age and he was born in the colonies and um his marriage to Betty his career as a lawyer his old age uh, back in the UK. Um, It's a story about colonialism in many ways. um, But it's also the story of one man's life. It's the story of um, a generation of people brought up to be a particular way um, of being unable to be in touch with your emotions of what childhood trauma does to people. Um, It's so well written, so funny so clever, so moving, um, I was crying at the end, I was cry at the end of books, but <laughs> it was, um, I just found it absolutely brilliant. And I've not read a book like this um, since I read Any Human Heart by William Boyd. And if you love that book, you will love Old Filth. Um, and the other books say The Man in the Wooden Hat* um, and Last Friends, I think are um told through so the man in the wooden hat is told through the eyes of his wife betty so it's the same events but told through uh her life and how the way that she sees things which gives you a totally different perspective on old filth um and then last mm. friends is told through um veneering's eyes who is um edward's um main rival as a lawyer but has also had an affair with betty their whole married life so it's really interesting to see what to read them alongside each other um, and I think you could read them in different orders and I think that was, mm. when I read all these books, which I will do next year i will um I will read them in a different order and see how I so I'm already excited about it <laughs>
0: and that's episode one hundred and twenty one if you want to hear our thoughts on uh, two of those three um, no. books uh, I did think actually uh after we had that, well, thinking about the episode, I thought, I wonder if that will be Rachel's number one. And there you go. It was.
1: Yeah. Predictable as um. ever.
0: <laughs> well, we know each other pretty well by now. <laughs> <I think. laughs> uh, well, that was fun. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think we've both got really interesting lists. So, um, yeah. And each of us saying some things that people can get and some things people can't get. So hopefully there's enough there um, that people can get hold of that you don't feel too annoyed by that. Um, And I said at the beginning, we will be doing two of these books in the next episode, but we don't know which ones. They might have absolutely nothing in common. You never know. Um, They might end up working really well together. Um, Have you decided which of my 10 you're going to choose?
1: Well, I know which one I want to choose, but I don't know whether I should because I don't know whether it's going to be possible to get hold of it or not. <laughs> um, um, right, I mean, what I want to choose is the Michael Cunningham, but I—if it doesn't come out until February here, then there's no point choosing that, is there?
0: Ooh, so, um, shall I just double check that? Yeah, because yeah, it might be January. January eighteenth. Um, January eighteenth. That's not—that's oh, okay. probably doable, that's isn't too it?
1: Too bad. That's probably doable. Yeah um okay well should we go for should we go for that or do you should what do you want me to choose one that will be out soon that i can read more quickly
0: no that's fine if we if you're happy to read it sort of in the fortnight after yeah. it, comes, it comes out
1: yeah very much so.
0: amazing so i've actually because i've already read four of your books i've got six to choose from <laughs> um <laughs> uh and i'm gonna go with uh, because you saw it because it's yeah you saw it so well landscape in sunlight Elizabeth Fair.
1: I knew you were going to tease that
0: one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, I don't think they've got anything in common at all, but um, but we'll find yeah. out. We always we'll make
1: find, it work. We'll, we always make it work. We'll find the
0: common. <laughs> so, just to recap, that next episode will be Day by Michael Cunningham and Landscape in Sunlight by Elizabeth Fair. Um, do you have any reading plans? For, or you've talked a bit, a bit about how you want to choose your books mm-hmm. and things, but any other reading plans for 2024?
1: Yes, I want to do some more rereading in twenty twenty four. Um I would like to reread all of my Dorothy Whipple books in order mm-hmm. of publication. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Um I also would like to read a bit more nonfiction, which I've been very bad at doing this year. I've got a whole bookshelf of nonfiction books that I've been meaning to get to. So um I really want to dig more into that and um yeah, try and read a bit more outside of my usual ruts and um hopefully find some new authors find some new interests that I can then branch out into so that's my plan what about yours
0: nice um yeah my big one is that I'm going to redo a century of books I've done a few times in the past ah. uh this so for those who've not seen it before I read a book uh published every year across the century the first time I did it it was the 20th century now I tend to do it 100 years up to the year i'm doing it so it's from 1925 to 2024 will be my century Ah. um yeah i'm already quite looking forward to it i I really like it as a challenge because it basically looks after itself for the first sort of nine months of the year you just read as normal and filling gaps and then it's the last bit where you're madly scrambling for something to fill 1992 (laughs) or something but um yeah i think that'll be fun um i'll check what what date landscape and sunlight is and uh
1: (laughs) pencil (laughs) that date in already
0: (laughs) um but yeah happy new year everyone um happy and we look forward to uh discussing books throughout 2024
1: with you yeah thanks for listening everyone have a wonderful uh, new year's wherever you well you already had it so happy new year it's we are actually recording this on new year's eve so
0: we are yes
1: did we mention, did we mention that i don't know if we did i
0: can't remember if we did either but yes it's still 2023 okay. as we as we record but by the time i get this up it yeah. will not be
1: so. Yeah. so happy New Year.
0: happy new year Bye. Bye.